As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast, where we explore how to center our lives and our leadership in the love of God revealed in Jesus Christ. In the midst of the disruptive cultural shockwaves of the 21st century, Join us as we learn to take the love of God seriously as the force that holds all of us and everything together. This podcast is brought to you by Gravity Leadership Academy, our 12-month online training intensive for Christian leaders who want to root their life and leadership in God's love and bring lasting transformation to their culture. In Gravity Leadership Academy, you'll learn the real-life practicalities of how to notice God's presence and activity in and around you so that you can more fully participate in God's life and mission and open up space for those around you to do so too. We've worked really hard to make this training in missional leadership practical and doable. To find out more about Gravity Leadership Academy, visit gravityleadership.com academy. Welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Do you have the applause? You can. Is there applause you can? Cue? I know. Where's like the music? The like. I think some of it. You should like rewind that and then do that and then you do the. Yep. Now do it. Maybe maybe just whenever you can cue the applause. Just just throw it in. It'll just come in. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Real real professional, kind of like your dog. Your dog decides right. to bark just, whenever just she wants. Whenever, whenever she wants. Oh, it's awesome. Right. So, yes. Uh, and I. 
Oh, oh, yeah. There you go. Oh, now we're. Clapping. It just took a while. Oh, now we're clapping. Okay, everybody. Delay. Thanks. I kind of love the fact that your dog's name is Edith as well. Yeah, we we like the old, uh, like uh, kind of like an old woman's name. It's so cute. <laughs> it's like Grandma. Edith, Grandma, if you're Edith. listening. Does born, she wear sweaters? Born in the forties. Oh, she yes, yeah, she does wear sweaters. My Shut wife dresses up. her up in sweaters and coats, and she's uh, she's pampered. She's, I love she's it. well loved. Yeah. So fun. She's a good dog. Yeah, she's great. Hey, um, y'all doing all right? It's cold here. We have a lot of snow. Our kids mm-hmm. are out of school. People are yeah. like climbing Three up the walls. Days. Yeah. I, I, Two uh, snow days in a row for here. Two yeah. snow days in a row. It's awesome. We, Over this 10 is our inches. third snow day in a row. Third. Yeah. And we, oh, uh, I was out shoveling. I did my workout just by shoveling for 45 minutes yeah. this morning. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's a good workout. So she can get out, get out and go to work. So, yeah. It's good. Yeah, it's been a it's been a fun fun winter so far. But this February is the shortest month of the year, but it's the hardest month for me. I am so yeah. done with winter, and I'm ready yeah. for warmth ready for spring. In oh. Colorado, we my... get more snow in February and March than we do in December and April sure. and January. It's I believe kind of crazy. It. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, I believe. But we that. skied this past weekend. We, like, took all the kids up. I the whole the... family ski thing. So That's fun. Um, yeah. I mean, still hard sometimes, I'm not going to lie, you know, mm-hmm. where like they're not all like awesome skiers and so it does draining, but um, but we did it and, and I was proud of them and they want to do it again, which is always the thing. It's like after a day of skiing, do they want to try again? And they all did. So that's good. That's fun. Mm. I like that. That's awesome. Wonderful. I love it. We went sledding, which is like Indiana skiing. Yeah, <laughs> basically. That's basically <laughs> Hiking up your mountain. Um, Hiking up our hiked up the hill in, qu- in quotes. In quotes, yes. Then laid down on a piece um, of plastic. This is how right. we do it. <laughs> All right. Well, a couple uh, a couple things, uh, listeners. If you have uh, not signed up for our free email list, please do so. Gravityleadership.com slash join. Uh, we'll send you an email every Friday. We've got curated links. Uh, we put some stuff in there about uh, what, what was in there this week, guys. Uh, online church. There's been some uh, passionate discussion online about whether or not to continue our online services and what that's doing. So uh, we we, uh, put some links to some articles on that kind of stuff. So anyway, if you're interested in kind of uh, thought-provoking links to articles that we found helpful, um, sign up for our free email list at gravityleadership.com slash join. Uh, And also, if you'd like to leave us a message, just um, leave us a message um, or a question or something like that on the podcast. You can go to gravityleadership.com slash message and push the button there and uh, you can leave us a message. Those are the only blurbs. Okay. Yeah. That's good. But let's get into the interview then. Yes. Yeah, we're talking to Justice Revival, Ali and Megan about the Equal Rights Amendment. And yeah. gender equality. This was fascinating. Learning it so was. much about this. And I actually were... took a page of notes. Did yeah. you? Yeah. I did. All right. That's awesome. This was this was one of our Gravity Commons live interviews. So we had a Q and A afterwards. Um, and so even the OT was great too. But oh, yeah. let's just let's just get into it. Let's let them. Let's let Allie take the wheel. Here we go, Allie. Allie Megan, Megan, take, take the, wheel. the wheel. Here we
Welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Today, we are talking faith and politics. What could go wrong? I'm joined with <laughs> Christy Finley and Ben Sternke. How Nothing. are you? Nothing could go wrong. Everything's going to go right because uh, we have incredible guests today. That's right. We do. Incredible guests. Um, the subtitle is Moving Beyond the Culture Wars in the Public Square. Uh, we're joined by uh, Allison McKinney-Tim, who's a human rights lawyer, scholar, and faith leader with two decades of experience defending the dignity and rights of those on the margins. Her work promoting justice and equality has spanned the nonprofit, private, and academic sectors. She's currently the founder and executive director of Justice Revival, whose mission is to inspire, educate, and mobilize Christian communities to respond faithfully to the call to justice by defending the human rights of all. Previously, Allison taught human rights at Yale Law School and led the Uganda Field Office of International Justice Mission. She holds graduate degrees in law, divinity, and business. Allie, welcome. It's good to have you. Thank you, Matt. It's a pleasure to be with you. And Megan Chance, who's been on the podcast before. Welcome back, Megan. Thank she's you. A, she's an author, speaker, and former missionary we talked about that last time, who is passionate about empowering women and reclaiming feminism for the Christian faith. She's the host and founder of the Faith and Feminism podcast and author of the recently released Women Rising, Learning to Listen, Reclaiming Our Voice. She is also Justice Revival's volunteer advocacy and mobilizing coordinator for the hashtag faith for era campaign. She and her husband, Dustin, live in Northeast Georgia, with their two rescued dogs. <laughs> yes. So she understands we were waiting around a little bit for Ben before we hit record to, mm -hmm. to take care of his little dog, his little precious dog. Yeah. So I, Megan, yeah. Meg, Megan understands this. Mm -hmm. I do. Um, <laughs> well, um, Allie and Megan, it's our honor to have you. We are going to chat today about the Equal Rights Amendment and the work that Justice Revival is doing to bring awareness and advocacy for the, the passing and the, and the final reception of that amendment um, in, in the U.S. But before we do that, I, I'm curious if you could maybe one at a time share how you came to know each other and how you came to work together at Justice Revival for this purpose. Thanks, Matt. Um, we uh, would love to share a bit of our stories and I'll say something about mine and then Megan, I think, will do the same. And we have this, uh, I think, pretty unique story of how we met and started teaming up on the ERA specifically. Um, I got my start in human rights working with International Justice Mission, leading an office in Uganda that helped widows who had been very cruelly turned out of their homes, deprived of their inheritance, left destitute after their husbands died and often threatened or victimized with violence. So I really saw from that experience up close what the cost of a lifetime of gender-based discrimination and dehumanization is. And sometimes that cost is lethal. So that really burned in my consciousness what's at stake when we talk about discriminating or excluding any group from the basic dignity and rights we should all enjoy. The other thing that struck me early on during that experience is that 
I came to understand there were Christians here in this very wealthy, powerful uh, country of the United States who would be fine with maybe helping poor widows in Africa or perhaps um, women in Afghanistan, but who were very um, threatened or opposed to the idea of thinking about women's rights more broadly and how it relates to our life in the US. So I, I encountered people at other organizations that represented that view and it struck me as a major contradiction and that's part of what brought me to this work. Mm. Yeah. And for me, um, you may, I mean, I think Matt, other people here probably know a bit about my story because I've been on the podcast before. Um, but to make a really long story really short, I was a missionary that works specifically with sexually exploited women. And um, not just sexually exploited women, but I also worked with widows in Uganda. I also worked with uh, survivors of female genital mutilation in Kenya. Um, I just had the opportunity to work with a lot of different women. And in these areas, I noticed a common theme of really um, heavy male headship, women's submission being preached and taught. And I began to question the teachings I was given in the evangelical church, being raised um, in the conservative evangelical church. I was told, this is right. This is holy. This is good. Women must submit. Men must be in charge. Um, and it was through working with these women that I started to question that. And I actually had this experience where I was talking to a man who was purchasing uh, a trafficked woman in the Philippines who said that he had, you know, come halfway across the world. He was from the United States to purchase these women because they knew how to submit to men and they knew how to give men the respect that they deserved. And as I was talking to him, there was something so familiar about the way he spoke. And it hit me that he sounded like a lot of the pastors I had growing up and the way they talked about male headship and the man's need for respect and a desire for women to be submissive. And so after having this conversation, I kind of came to a huge crisis of, of faith and morality, really questioning if what I was doing was actually helpful or beneficial and what could be the most effective way that I could fight um, violence against women around the world and specifically in my own community. And so it was then that I actually quit my job, started the Faith and Feminism podcast, wrote a book, because I saw the tie between this, this male headship theology and the abuse of women. And so for me, that's how I got in, you know, involved with um, women's rights here in the United States, because I think a lot of us are raised with the idea that, oh, we're the best, you know, we're the best at everything. We're the best, especially when it comes to women's rights. And um, as we're going to get into here, that's actually really not the case. And, and there's a lot of work that we need to do within the church and as a country to really empower and support and to fight for the rights of women. And the way we met, um, fast forward to a Sojourner Summit, I think it was 2019, and Justice Revival had taken up the cause of the Equal Rights Amendment. I was speaking there about some of the issues we're going to delve into today. And I told a story. Uh, it's a story of a woman named Jessica Lenahan, and it's a really tragic story. We should 
um, let people know it involves domestic violence. Uh, Jessica was a woman in Castle Rock, Colorado with three little girls. Their names were Leslie, Catherine, and Rebecca, and they were all under the age of 10 when Jessica's husband uh, sadly became violent and unstable. She had to get a restraining order against him. Colorado is a state that had a mandatory arrest law for violating a restraining order. And that law was actually printed right on the back of the legal restraining order she had. But when her little girls went missing and she called the police for help and she showed them the restraining order, they turned her away. She continued calling them at least 10 times all through the night, begging for their help. They did nothing. And hor horrifically, tragically, uh, the story ends with the little girls being murdered by gunshot wounds to the head in a police station shootout um, where the, the um, unstable partner drove up to the police station, opened fire, police shot back. They never did an investigation that determined exactly whose gunfire killed the little girls. So any parent's worst nightmare. And she wants answers, if not justice. So she sues the town of Castle Rock and the case goes all the way to the US Supreme Court where our highest court in the land tells Jessica, sorry, we can't do anything for you. In fact, the police had no duty to help you. You had no right to anything better and there is no remedy for you under US law. And so as I was listening at this conference to Allison tell this story, it struck me as really familiar. Um, she, I don't, I don't think she had said where it had happened or it probably would have connected sooner. But I remembered when I was 12 years old, my mom sitting me down and telling me that three of my schoolmates had been murdered by their father. And she wanted me to know just in case they were my friends, they lived down the street from me and she didn't know if I was close with them or not, but I'm sorry, but this is what you, you have to go to school with. And um, I remember that hitting me really heavy. Um, Castle Rock, Colorado is a pretty idyllic town. You, you don't expect this kind of violence there. Um, but I think what this is so evidentiary of is that violence like this, it, it happens everywhere. I think all of us have stories of where we're not too far removed from um, a story of domestic violence. You open the news and you're going to have tons and tons of stories about domestic violence, about unstable partners, murdering women, murdering their children. And the fact that these cases can go to the highest land in the court and the court can say, sorry, you don't have rights in this area, I think is just so evident of why we need to do the work that we're doing. And so um, that's how Allison and I met. That story really hit home to me because it, it has a really deep personal connection. And um, these girls, I remember them. They rode my school bus. They paid Cat's Cradle a few seats behind me. They rode their bicycles down my street. Um, and I think that just is, it's, it's, it's so close. All, all of these cases can be so close to us and we really need to do something about it. Yeah. Yeah. I hear both of you saying that the, the tragedies and horrors you experienced 
uh, on overseas away from the US, like you couldn't look away. It impacted you emotionally and spiritually and, and physically as, as a human. And then you come back and you realize, or maybe imprinted into that empathetic space is how this is happening right next door as well. Mm-hmm. Um, may, maybe then um, as we take a beat and just mm-hmm. honor these stories, maybe I think most Christians, when they hear these stories, think that's tragic. Um, I'm going to start, um, you know, uh, a class at my church on how to recognize domestic violence, or I'm going to, um, I'm going to pray. Or we have, I think we have like spiritual solutions for sometimes legal or public problems that are baked into us. Um, but what I want to maybe ask is like, how does the ERA speak to this, the Equal Rights Amendment? And maybe as a way into that, what's the history of the Equal Rights Amendment? And, you know, didn't it pass Congress like decades ago? <laughs> and why did it start? And, and what's the holdup? Yeah. So maybe introduce that for us, for those of us who are unfamiliar. And and I do want to say, Matt, since you mentioned the individual work, the community-based church work, uh, I would affirm that is an important part of the work that we're doing. I was just listening uh, yesterday with my husband to um, Adam Bucko, um, the Reverend Adam Bucko speaking at an event that Richard Roar's Center for Action Contemplation did, and he talked about these three levels of of, um, personal um, transformation and then communal justice um, and kind of how we're acting in our communities, and then finally addressing the systemic, the broader Mm. systemic issues. And that is where the ERA comes in. When we talk about systemic injustice, it doesn't get more systemic than the constitution in our legal system. This is our founding legal charter. Ours is 233 years old. And it was written at a time when women were seen more as property than citizens within the US legal system. They could be raped or beaten by their husbands with impunity. That was allowed under the law, not to speak of having something like the right to own property themselves um, or to um, be part of a profession. It was just a very different time. Women were intentionally excluded. Following the Civil War, there were Reconstruction Amendments that extended some Uh, privileges of citizenship in the Constitution to formerly enslaved persons, but those were not applied to women. Even though advocates sought to include women, there were cases litigated that said, no, you don't have the right to vote women. You're not part of these changes or these reforms. Um, And so it's only much later even that women get the right to vote in the early 20th century and only really um, in the last 50 years that women start to be recognized as more equal citizens in our US constitution. And that happened through case by case decisions at our high court. So some very hard won gains to extend part of the constitution, the equal protection clause to extend that to women and to um, ensure equal protection regardless of sex. 
but those gains have been piecemeal and they are mm. vulnerable to being reversed. And so there is also a long movement going back at least a hundred years to add a very basic reform to our constitution. Um, the relevant language is very simple. It sounds a lot like another amendment, simply says equality of rights under the law shall not be denied or abridged by the United States or by any state based on sex. So it is a very straightforward and a very basic human rights reform to ensure equality under the law, but it's been deeply contested in our country for these 50 years. Mm. Yeah, I, I, you know, I want to, I want to say like, I, I wonder why, but I honestly, I think I know why. <laughs> I, I, my, my introduction to the ERA, I know, I know very little about it. Um, but my perception of it is that it, be, being a Christian who became a Christian in the late nineties, early two thousands is that it was evil. And, and this is, I don't know. I think I come by this honestly. I, I was, um, so here's, here's a, um, I don't know if this is just me. Then, then this podcast is like my salvation here. But I wonder if other people heard this too. Uh, this is from a fundraising letter in 1992 by a Christian named Pat Robertson, who has run for president before, and I think uh, is fa fairly famous. He categorized gender equality this way. And there's some harsh language here. And so um, just prepare yourself for that. Quote, the feminist agenda is not about equal rights for women. It's about a socialist, anti-family political movement that encourages women to leave their husbands, kill their children, practice witchcraft, destroy capitalism, and become lesbians. <laughs> <sighs> rather than refuting, rather than refuting this quote point by point, which I think would be a bit pedantic, uh, I think we can all kind of see the hyperbolic language here. Um, I want to ask, like, for those of us who were exposed to that kind of rhetoric or who introduced the ERA in that way, like, what do, what else do we need to know about the ERA that is um, contrary or contra to this, this rhetoric? And, and why is this rhetoric attached to the ERA, maybe to begin with? You know, what I would want to say about the Equal Rights Amendment, and, and I appreciate your, um, openness, Matt, about the messages you received in your community. Yeah. Um, I mean, I went back to graduate school and did a master in divinity because I had heard mixed messages on women's rights. And I thought, I want to be faithful. I don't want to mislead anyone. I want to ensure that what I say and do and advocate for reflects my understanding of the gospel as best I can possibly understand it. So I did a, a third graduate degree with that specific aim in mind in order to understand what does Christian faith teach about human rights? I mentioned before the ERA is a basic human rights reform, and that's because by their very definition, human rights are inherent rights that belong to every person on a basis of equality. That's that is what the idea means. And of course, human rights started to gain widespread legal protection 
post-World War II in the wake of wartime atrocities. And Christian ecumenical advocates were an important part of that movement to ensure that there are some rights that should protect every person. Um, one of them is a right to life, a right to life. We can talk about that. In Jessica Lenahan's case, after the Supreme Court turned her away, her case was appealed to a regional human rights body that said, yes, you had rights, so did your daughters. Their right to life was violated. So under international law, we talk about protecting someone against state action or state inaction in this case. So I kind of got diverted there, but yeah. human rights in Christian tradition, if we bring it back to their theological foundations, these are three. It is God's love for humanity that bestows an extraordinary worth on each person. That's Reformed theologian Nicholas Volterstorff. It is our being made in the image of God, all of us, irrespective of gender, and the fact that God deserves respect, and so does every human person who images God. And then thirdly, it is Christ's incarnation, Christ's coming in human flesh and dignifying our human experience with his presence and his walk among us. In Christian thought, those are the foundations of our divinely bestowed human rights. And so far as I can tell, none of that hinges on gender. It's on something just even more profound about who we are in God and in Christ. That's what it means to say we have equal rights is to affirm we are equally loved and valued by the Creator. If you're loving this podcast, we invite you to go deeper and partner with us in our work by joining the Gravity Commons, our online community of practice for connecting and learning together. As a member of the Gravity Commons, you get access to live podcast recordings with upcoming guests, as well as other opportunities to connect and learn together with us in real time. Including learning labs, member meetups, discussion boards, online courses, and our practitioner podcasts. Go to gravityleadership.com slash commons to find out more. See you in the commons. Yeah, something I pulled from your uh, your ERA policy brief document that we'll share with the listeners is that 85% of countries worldwide explicitly protect women's rights or prohibit gender discrimination in their constitution. 85%, but the U.S. is not one of those countries. And Megan, I wonder if this, uh, you know, I think Ali traced sort of the historical reason of why women also, anybody who wasn't white, wasn't a man, didn't own land, <laughs> really wasn't protected by the U.S. Constitution when it was written. But I wonder, uh, Megan, if this has anything to do with what you noticed in terms of the, the similarities between the patriarchal cultures you noticed as you traveled as a missionary and some of the same moves and ways of being that you notice in churches you grew up in? Yeah. I mean, I think that was one of the biggest revelations I had is that the church tried to 
differentiate themselves is like, we're different. We're set apart. We're, we're, we're doing it better, right? We're doing humans rights better. We're taking care of people better. But what I found is that actually a lot of these really patriarchal damaging teachings, which I'll get into are echoed in our Christian space and that our, our Christian spaces are actually a big product of their culture. And so kind of going back to what you said with Pat Robertson, I think a lot of us are born into a system and because we're born into the system, we, that's all there is. We're unaware of the context. We're unaware of our own culture. Um, so if we're speaking from the white evangelical conservative culture, we have to remember what does that mean? What, what context is Pat Robertson, who has this quote um, that feminism is evil? What context does that come from? And so I think it's really important to remember that his context is that he removed, or the, the SBC, the Southern Baptist Convict Convention, removed all women's leadership in 2000. Um, they fully endorsed male headship. And so it makes sense to me. I'm not surprised that systems where all the power is held by men would be challenged by a system or a thought that would give some power back to women. And the reason I think this is so important, I mean, because Besides the huge misdefinition of what feminism is, because if we look it up, uh, this might be surprising to some people, but if you, you look up the dictionary definition, it's simply equality. That's it. It's equality between men and women. There's a lot of people that add different things to it. That's literally all feminism is. And I have to spend an undue amount of my time defining that for people, because I think there is such negative connotation. There's been of, propaganda, right? Like, yes. like femi the word feminist or feminism ha has been weaponized. Yes, yeah, it, it has, but it makes sense because you're thinking of these, the people who are weaponizing feminism are the people who don't want women to have power or to have any leadership positions or to even have decisions within their family. They fully endorse male headship. So of course they're going to be challenged by this, but the reason this is so important to talk about, and I think this is what so many people are missing. Male headship is not just a theology. It has fruit. Our theology has fruit. It says that in the Bible that we judge a tree by its fruit. And so I want us to sit and think for a second what is the fruit? And we know the fruit of a domineering male headship. What is the fruit of that? And, you know, I'll let you guys think about that, but I also have facts because I don't know what you're going to come up with. But for example, <laughs> we actually know that abuse is caused by power differentials. This is something that is studied. It's a fact. Um, there is a lot of studies out there. I'll, I'll mention one. Um, there was a study done in 2015 by the University of South Carolina that found that male headship theology and fundamental religion is actually a risk factor for intimate partner violence. So mm -hmm. what that means is male headship theology is a risk factor, meaning it is more likely for domestic violence to um, occur in those situations. We also have psychologists like Lynn Yonak, who says, despite its name, sexual abuse is more about power than it is about sex. Although the touch may be sexual, the words are seductive or intimidating, and the violation phys physical, when someone rapes, assaults, or harasses, the motivation stems from the perpetrator's need for dominance and control. Mm. And if you go to any, I'm telling you, you Google any um, domestic violence 
um, hotline, rain, um, you're going to find that answer again and again and again. We know what causes domestic violence. We know what causes sexual violence and it's power differentials. So for me, (laughs) I'm not surprised that Pat Robertson is you know, talking poorly about this because he wants to maintain his power, but he doesn't realize that the fact that he is so wanting to hold on to that power, I think is the smoking gun. So we actually know that the SBC, the the convention from which he comes from, has a huge problem with abuse. In February 2019, an investigation was done by the Houston Chronicle that reported on 700 cases of sexual assault by pastors and leadership, men in leadership at the Southern Baptist Church. And so in some cases, they even showed that these pastors just moved from church to church abusing children and adults, that nothing was done, that accountability wasn't had. And so I think this is evidence. This is a smoking gun. In his church, he has a massive problem with abuse. We know that power differentials contribute to abuse. And so when I see these these statements demonizing feminism or equality, it's not just feminism, right? We see it with Black Lives Matter. They're going to demonize that too, these movements for justice, because it feels like they're losing power and they need power or they feel like they need power. And that's the whole reason there's a problem to begin with, because power differentials, massive as these are, are the ones that are creating the abuse. And so for me, I think the question we need to come back to is how do we combat this abuse um, with rights by putting powers back in, uh, power back in the hands of those who lack it? Um, and I think this is a Christian call. If we look at what Jesus did, was he, you know, we, we see the old kings, right? We see, you know, David and Solomon who acquired more wealth, acquired more power, and we saw abuses happening under them. We know the story of Bathsheba being raped by David, the murder of her husband, And I think what we see with Jesus is so unique because he never tried to take power. He constantly gave it up. He constantly gave it up. And people were expecting this king to come in and take control. And what we saw was a humble servant who continually gave up powers on behalf of others and those who needed it. And so for me, the simple fact of fighting for women's rights This is something I think Jesus did. He put power back in the hands of those who lacked it. And so this is why it's so important, I think, for me to fight for the ERA. Yeah, Megan. Sorry, it was a long, clearly I'm passionate about this. No, it's good. It's really good. Allie, I'm wondering, kind of piggybacking on that, if you could double click a little bit and talk about how the ERA is, is a Christian issue. How does your faith inform your advocacy in this? Well, I, it is absolutely because of my grounding in Christian faith that I see the work of justice as a calling for the entire body of Christ and having, um, I kind of really got grounded in this when I was at IJM, um, like 15 years ago, how strong the message is that we are to be people who seek justice and especially for the widow and orphan. And of course, we know that phrase, the the widow and orphan, the prisoner and the poor, that is representative of all of those who are on the margins, who are more threatened, vulnerable, weaker. And still today in our time, it is uh, disproportionately by and large women 
as well as, and especially women of color, um, immigrant women, low income women who are facing the brunt of all of these issues we're discussing, sexual and domestic violence, um, pregnancy and pay discrimination, um, female genital mutilation, which happens in the US, child marriage, which happens in the US. So there's a number of crucial uh, life-threatening issues of justice that can be addressed through this one common baseline of legal equality. And, and so for me, it is that biblical call to justice that motivates all of this work. Yeah. Ali, you, you just rattled off a few things. I think I'm, I'm, uh, I think I'm now just learning that genital mutilation happens in the U S I think this is something I haven't heard before or I've heard it and I haven't remembered it. Um, what, what are the other things that, the if the ERA amendment gets passed or ratified, that it that it will address just like concrete, tangible things that we could attach. This injustice could be rectified legally through this amendment. Let me tell you a little more about how the ERA would work and how it relates to these particular issues. So it would work in two very important ways. One, it would raise the bar on government discrimination based on sex. So right now, courts use a different standard to evaluate sex discrimination than racial or religious discrimination. I was telling you earlier how it's only piecemeal and gradual that women have been included in the Equal Protection Clause but there's a different standard of equal protection for gender than there is for race. So appreciate the irony of that. And that is part of why legal scholars have said women have been shut out of the constitution on an issue like domestic violence. Part of why um, Jessica Lenahan didn't get justice women who have tried through other constitutional avenues to get justice for domestic violence have received negative court outcomes because we've done all we can with this constitution and it hasn't addressed the reality that I think one in five college women will experience attempted rape or rape. I believe it's one in three US women will experience domestic violence. These are staggering statistics on par with many other parts of the world, and we need a legal framework to address that. The other thing the ERA very clearly and explicitly does is it gives Congress the power to legislate on these issues. So in 1996, Congress passed a law called the Stop FGM Act. However, there was a case where, um, and that act actually criminalized this practice of genital um, mutilation or um, removing uh, all or part of the external genitalia for those who aren't familiar. This law criminalized FGM, but when they tried to enforce it, the court struck it down and said, Congress does not have the power to legislate on this. And we might remember way back to our, our civics training, any power that's not um, expressly given the, the federal government 
is reserved to the states. So Congress needs a constitutional basis to legislate. And in this instance, the court said, you don't have it on FGM. Another court said, you don't have it on one aspect of the Violence Against Women Act. They struck down part of that law. So for Congress to do something on our horrific maternal mortality rate, um, we need to give them a better basis than the Commerce Clause, which is what they're using on maternal mortality now as one example. That that helps me a great deal just to understand that right now it's up to the states to sort of do this and it's ad hoc piecemeal. You've got some places maybe that are less inclined to care or consider this stuff as important. Other states maybe have better laws to protect women. But this is about this is about the federal government doing what it always does, which is to say uh, th- this is something that's virtuous and just, and we're not going to leave it up to provincial slash prejudices uh, to to you know have this great variety of injustice slash justice for for women in our. That's right. That's absolutely right. Just like we have a, a civil rights act um, that's a national piece of legislation. We need to be able to um, take action nationally on these really pervasive problems. Yeah, this is, you know, I was reflecting, Megan, as you were sharing about Jesus, you know, he, he actually, um, he actually took power from powerful people honor and gave it to, uh, for instance, the woman at Simon's table. And, and, and what happened when he did that is people got so mad, they wanted to kill him. They wrote campaign letters and accused him of witchcraft. <laughs> and so it, it occurs to me that the same kind of thing that you're, you're tethering to the biblical text happens today um, because, you know, equality for people who are used to inequality feels like persecution or mm-hmm. justice. Yeah. 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 And I think a lot of people, especially of my generation, we don't even know what the Equal Rights Amendment is. We've been raised in a context. I was raised in a context where I was taught America was the best. We were the leading in human rights. We were leading in women's rights. We were a pillar of, um, you know, a light on the hill for the rest of the countries to emulate. And I I always struggled with that because it didn't match my own experience growing up as a girl, Mm. specifically in the conservative evangelical church. It didn't match my experience with sexual harassment and sexual abuse that I experienced. It didn't match my experience. And it wasn't until I traveled the world and saw this happening again and again and again, that I started to see the system at play. But Mm. what people have been told is, you know, we're the leader in women's rights, but we're actually 51st gender parity. This is, um, we're behind all of our neighbors, we're behind Canada, we're behind Cuba, we're behind Mm. Mexico. Mm. We have um, a high, uh, there's many factors that are contributing to that. Um, But one of them is our really high maternal mortality rate. Um, If you look at the world as a whole, we see these rates going down, which is so good. In the United States, those rates are actually rising. Um, and and for, for Black women specifically, those rates are three to four times higher uh, than, than white women. Um, we also have very low representation of women in our government. That's another reason we, we rank so low. Um, but there's, there's so many statistics out there, and I'm sure people are familiar with them. You know, uh, Ali mentioned a few, you know, one in three is a survivor of domestic violence. Um, it's an estimate 
estimated 19 to 27% of women are assaulted at college and, and an estimated hundreds of thousands of rape kits are untested. They're just sitting in police <laughs> buildings. Um, and get this only 0.7% of rapes actually lead to felony convictions. Yeah. Um, and I think that all of this is evidentiary of we don't take violence against women seriously. Um, right. We're not even right. testing these rape kits. And, and, and if it does go to court, which is, it seems almost insurmountable with the way we talk about survivors, right? Who well, She's lying. She made it up. It yes. was her fault. Yes. If it does make it to court, only 0. 0.7, 0. 0.7 rapes lead to felony convictions. Yes. Um, but we know that devastating emotional effects of those who are survivors of uh, sexual violence. 89% suffer severe emotional distress. We know that women are paid less than their male counterpoints for the same work, mounting to 800,000 to 1 million in lost wages over a lifetime. We know that a quarter of single moms live in poverty. Um, we know that pregnant women don't have a constitutional right against workplace discrimination. This is I mean, all of these issues will be addressed with the Equal Rights Amendment. Um, and we have a case that we know, her name is Peggy Young, who she worked for UPS. Um, because she was pregnant, her doctor told her not to lift above 20 pounds. And so UPS's policy, if you were you know, hurt on the job, they would assign you light duty. Um, but because she didn't qualify with her pregnancy, they basically took away her job without pay for 10 months. Um, and there wasn't any constitutional protection for that either because pregnancy didn't fall. Um, it's part of sex discrimination and we don't have that constitutional backing yeah. um, in our constitution. And so we see these cases go to court and there's, they say, sorry. And um, Ali, well, could you quote Justice Scalia? What did he say? about women's rights. Uh, yeah, yeah, for sure. And one, yeah. one clarification, the, the way the court has interpreted the Equal Protection Clause is that pregnancy discrimination is not discrimination based on sex. It's not because you're a woman, it's because you're pregnant. So that's not sex discrimination. That's the precedent at our high court. Now, Scalia always insisted that women receive no protection under the Equal Protection Clause, because that was not the original intent. So he is a conservative originalist, uh, excuse me, was, and he said, um, uh, oh, I can't quote directly, but he essentially said, the 14th Amendment does not apply to women full stop. Here's what he said, nobody ever thought that's what it meant. That was his word on it. He insisted always that the Equal Protection Clause gives women exactly nothing. That would take us back to pre-1971, where mm. um, a law could say only men can be lawyers, only men can serve on juries. And um, in his opinion, that would be permitted under this constitution. So he actually articulated specifically why an amendment is necessary if we care or we're serious about women being equal citizens. Yeah. 
I feel like as I'm listening and I'm guessing our listeners are feeling this way, like my, my blood is kind of starting to boil. Right. And, and I don't know if it's the Enneagram three in me (laughs) or if I, or something else, but I like, what do we do? Like, how do we act? Like help us double click and give us like a, a help, a movement forward of actual action. Well, here is the good news. Um, Really the miracle is that there is a possibility today in 2022 that the ERA could truly become the law of the land finally after nearly 100 years of struggle. In fact, last Thursday was the day that technically the ERA should be effective. Why? Because the two constitutional requirements have been met. Congress passed it by a supermajority, bipartisan, in 1972. And as of two years ago, 38 states, or three-fourths of states, have ratified it. Virginia became the, the 38th state to do so two years ago. And so two years on, the ERA is legally effective. And that is part of why there is a growing, revived movement to finalize it. Now, what's the holdup? Yeah. The government official responsible for publishing the ERA essentially got frightened away from doing that because of a problematic legal memo that came out of the Trump Department of Justice that raised questions about a couple procedural issues that are contested that are being litigated. And so he hasn't published it, and it is contested on on two grounds. One of them is a time limit that Congress initially attached to the ERA and later extended and has since expired. And the other is five states that tried to undo their decision to ratify. Now, first, on the time limit, There is a bill before the Congress to eradicate that time limit, to say there's no time limit on equality. This is too important to make it time barred. And the House has now, for the second time, passed a bill to eliminate that deadline. And the Senate could do the same thing. The bill is uh, Senate Joint Resolution 1. It could be passed by the Senate, and that would be Congress doing its part to say, we need to finalize the ERA. Um, This litigation will continue either way. And so that's happening as well. But there's also a movement to petition Merrick Garland, the attorney general, to withdraw that that, um, problematic memo from the Trump uh, administration and to say, no, there's not a barrier. The the DOJ actually clarified just last week, uh, so that was Jan 27th, 2022, they clarified that they don't see that memo as a barrier to Congress or the courts doing whatever they see as lawful. And um, this is a long answer, but I will also let you know there is an interfaith movement in support of the Equal Rights Amendment. That's the hashtag faith for ERA campaign that Justice Revival and Sojourners, Religions for Peace USA, and a number of other interfaith partners are 
um, spearheading right now to say there are hundreds of faith leaders across this country. And we know it's thousands. It should be thousands yeah. who, who support this um, measure of justice. And you can find uh, lots more on all of that at justicerevival.org slash ERA. And we'll put all that in the show notes too, just for our listeners so that they can have access to that as well. Thank you. That's super helpful. Yes. Well, as we're winding down the public uh, part of this discussion, we have a Gravity Live Commons discussion is going to take place after the public podcast ends. So uh, get your questions or thoughts ready, Commons participants. Um, maybe we could just uh, close with what what happens... What happens, paint a picture for what happens if the ERA is is fully embraced and ratified. What kinds of recourse and protection? I mean, I heard I heard one about the UPS woman who's who's pregnant, you know, who's faced with I carry this baby to term in poverty, or I terminate this pregnancy and I can actually make a living. So that question then maybe changes for her. Yeah. It's no longer a either baby or or income. It could be both, but maybe paint a picture for how else does this play out for women uh, for the future? That's a great question, Matt. One of the things that advocates are doing right now is doing a review of the laws on a state-by-state basis to identify all the laws that still discriminate based on sex that remain on the books that could be challenged. Um, Let's just take child marriage, for instance. Uh, There's, we know there's problematic um, uh, issues with allowing uh, minors even to be married to someone who is an abuser or a rapist. And so that could be one example of a type of law that there is now a new basis to challenge. Uh, The ERA also should lead to a legislative agenda because the work won't be done once the ERA is passed, but I mentioned how it will empower Congress. And so it will open up a huge avenue to now um, advocate with Congress and for lawmakers to take up more aggressively tackling all of these problems we've named, the intimate partner violence, the high maternal mortality, the female genital mutilation and child marriage. So there will need to be a legislative program of action that follows. Yeah. But the ERA then provides the foundation on which those laws can be passed. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, this is great. This has been such a good discussion. Allie and Megan, you're doing such good work and we, we were benefiting today from your advocacy and your knowledge and your experience. And uh, I'm sure our listeners will join uh, their energy, but also their prayer that that this will pass and that women yeah. can finally uh, be included in uh, being part of the all who are created equal. Mm-hmm. Amen. Thank you for that, Matt. Thanks for holding space for this conversation and for being an ally in this cause. Yeah. Yeah. And a brother. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm just glad there's something we can do. I, mm-hmm. so, so often in the public square, I feel powerless and uh, the Lord has given us a modicum of a of a voice here and we want to use it to amplify this. So thanks for being with us today on the gravity podcast. Thank you for having us. Well, that was something. Um, 
I I don't know, guys, if uh, Megan Chance preaches anywhere, if mm-hmm. she's a regular preacher, but she can preach. Maybe she, she gets should. fired up. She gets passionate. She should. She should. Invite her. She should be a preacher. She can <laughs> preach at our church. Yeah. Anytime. <laughs> no, that was. Um, yeah, I don't know how you guys felt about that. That was really illuminating. It was super helpful for me. Um, I love. Uh, and even in the, the Q&A that isn't, uh, I'm just reflecting, even on the Q&A just, um, that isn't part of this episode, uh, obviously publicly, uh, but just, just for our Commons members, um, just uh, I guess the, the combination for me mm. of their passion for this and their mm. determination, which I want to talk uh, a little bit about that, um, quote, the thing that Megan, uh, the quote that from Stacey Abrams that Megan quoted about being uh, determined. I want to talk about that in a little bit, but I was I was struck by both of their kind of passion for this subject, but also their open-hearted kind of graciousness about mm-hmm. you know I don't all the all the things that people all the questions that people may have about this topic that I don't know there was just an openness and a graciousness as well as a as well as a fierceness and a passion yeah. for it that I really yep. anytime I see that in someone like they're like. They're pulling no punches. They're very highly prophetic, but they're also very open-hearted and kind. Mm-hmm. I just find that really compelling. Like yep. that's yeah. that's that's what I want to be like when I grow up. So yes, yep, a gentle tenacity that mm-hmm. doesn't that speaks plainly and doesn't pull punches. That's that's what I'm when I grow up. I want to be like that. Yeah, all of us. Well, um, I, I wondered if we could maybe even just reflect a little bit on that quote. Um, together. Um, I, I'm paraphrasing here, but Megan said, uh, I think the question was something about like whether she was optimistic or pessimistic. And she, she quoted Stacey Abrams to say, I'm neither optimistic or pessimistic. I'm determined. Mm. Um, and Matt, that seemed to strike you enough that it showed up in your sermon last Sunday. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, and uh, obviously the other thing that it reminds us of, and you mentioned this in your sermon, was Leslie Newbigin's quote where he was asked whether he's optimistic mm-hmm. or pessimistic about the future of the church. And he said, I'm neither one of these things. Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. Uh, so therefore the question does not come up. Um, so it's, it's, it's like the wrong question. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, I wondered if you, like, what was it about that quote for you, Matt, that made you think about it <laughs> enough uh, to put yeah. it into your sermon and think, man, this, like a is, week later. this is something we need, to, we need to ponder together. You're asking a preacher to talk about his preaching, Ben. So, well, just a little bit. Just a little bit? All Don't right. get carried well, away. Okay, okay. I was preaching well, on 1 Corinthians. I wasn't there. So okay. you got to tell All me right. anyway. I was preaching on 1 Corinthians 15. <laughs> and Paul talks about uh, the message he's received. And he says this. He says some interesting things about grace. He says, um, you know, I'm the least important of the apostles. Don't deserve to be called one. I harass God's church. I am what I am by God's mm. grace, and God's grace hasn't been for nothing. In fact, I've worked harder than all the others. That is, it wasn't me, but the grace of God that is with me. I think this, uh, you know, this old Dallas Willard quote about that grace isn't opposed, uh, is opposed to earning, not effort. But I right. think oftentimes we don't have a robust imagination for the work grace wants to get done and how yeah. grace operates and what it means to work hard in grace. Like, we, mm. we don't know what that means. And so I was trying to point out that receiving the good news, the gospel, is... Uh, this commissioning, this empowering, 
this giving mm. of a message, this this uh, purifying, this including, this declaring and announcing that the uh, history has pivoted around the resurrection of the Son of God and Jesus Christ. Yeah. Um, and I think that I believe I I agree with Leslie Newbegin that mm-hmm. you know it's not about optimism or pessimism because we know where history's headed. Yeah. But too often in my faith and in people I have been in relationship with in their faith, that quote, I'm neither an optimist nor pessimist, Jesus Christ has risen from the dead, has resor- has sort of turned us away from what's actually going on in the world towards mm-hmm. sort of a I fly away someday in glory. So things might be going to hell in a handbasket, right? The earth might right. be burning up because of climate change. Uh, uh, black people might be incarcerated 18 times more than white people are, wh- whatever. Name yeah. your name the thing that makes you depressed and angry. Um, and then we kind of deflect or bypass that anger, bypass that sadness, bypass that discouragement, right? Uh, fear to just, well, you know what? It'll be better when we die. Or uh, mm-hmm. I can think about these spiritual things, even if these material things aren't right. And what I liked about that quote from Stacey Abrams is I actually think that the bifurcation of the spiritual world and the material world is a modern fantasy. Mm-hmm. I don't th- I don't think Jesus thought about things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's why he calls mammon a rival god. I think he thought about the world shot through with spirituality. Right. And the spirituality being tangible, concrete, relational, art made up yes. of the thisness of this life, yes. right? And so what I liked about Stacey Abrams, and we don't, we don't have time to go into her story here, but um, she was basically saying, I'm not going to sit around and hope, like twiddle my thumbs hope, mm-hmm. but I'm going to get to work towards the good. And for her, yeah. I think it was registering people to vote who hadn't been registered to vote, whose right. voices had right. been historically silenced, and who had been, uh, many of them, like victims of ger- like gerrymandering or voter suppression mm-hmm. laws. Like mm-hmm. she was like, no, I'm just, I'm not going to wait for somebody else to do this. I'm not going to yeah. hope it happens and like uh, watch Netflix, but I yeah. am going to do something about it. Yeah. And I, I think that that kind of determination doesn't live in me the way it does in Stacy. Mm. And I think that kind of determination is what lived in Paul yeah. and what made him yeah. say this in first Corinthians 15. Yeah. And I, and I think there, there is a, for me, for, and for us as Christians, right, there is a link then to the resurrection uh, because that in my mind is the reason that I can be faithfully determined to, you know, to participate in the goodness of the kingdom is because I know that, I mean, that one of the songs we sang on <laughs> this past Sunday too was Your Labor Is Not In Vain. Yeah. So it's like you you know that you are investing in something to use. I mean, modern money language, which is maybe problematic, but you know Have that I you're. Have I got a class for you coming up? <laughs> we're we're starting to think about this <laughs> stuff for our church, but um, but anyway, to use the metaphor, like yep. you know that you're investing something that that is eternal. Like Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. Therefore, this work matters, even mm. if even if it seems to be temporarily defeated, even if, you know, you get martyred, even, you know what I mean? Like, yes. this is what this is what led the martyrs to see see going to their deaths as an act of victory, you know? Yes. Um, yeah. So anyway, yeah I, yeah, I appreciated that. And I, I think what you're saying too, Matt, it also helps us to connect um, something like, something very earthy, like 
let's get the Equal Rights Amendment passed. And here's how practically we need to do that. Mm -hmm. It makes something like that that feels very earthy. It connects it helpfully to our spirituality, because I think you're right. Sometimes people look at, you know, maybe the podcasts that we do, and they're like, what does this have to do with faith? What does this have to do with my Christian spirituality? And I think, I think it has everything to do with it. And we need to keep making those links uh, tangible and, and, you know, visible. So, (sighs) all right. Well, anything else to say about this episode, friends, before we, before we hit it, before we hit stop? (laughs) Um, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, I, I think I think we're committed to having conversations that we think Christians need to have that sometimes they're reticent to have. And I think yeah. this is one of them. Yeah. I think too often it's almost been, we've been coy or shy or circumspect to say advocating for the f- like full rights and citizenship of women is a Christian issue. I think there's a little bit of like an asterisk or a caveat right, or a right. footnote. Or okay, if that's on the list of things, it's 643 in the back. And I don't know. I, I'm just crazy enough to think there's there's listeners out there who are nodding along and saying, "Yeah, I think we I think we don't need to be shy about this because, you know, n- nobody should have to choose between having a child and having a job. Yeah. yeah, no one should no one should be able to choose. No one should have to choose between that. Especially in an economy where having a job means, you know, life or death. Really. Right. Exactly. <laughs> totally. To get back to the mammon conversation. All right. That's probably enough. I could just keep ranting about this. I feel pretty strongly about it. All right. Well, um, listeners, we'll catch you uh, next time. Um, love, to, love to hear from you and uh, love that you're on this journey with us. Yep. We'll see you all next time. Yeah. Peace. All right. Hey, 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 guys. Wait, 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 wait. Real quick. Uh, did you hear why Adele crossed the road? Adele? To say hello from the other side. <laughs> Wow. I don't know we, if you heard that. That's we sincerely apologize for your broken eardrums, everyone. <laughs> yep. Sincerely oh apologize. Goodness. She's over there now, still singing. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see you next time. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Gravity Leadership Podcast. If you're finding it helpful, we'd love it if you tell your friends about it. Ratings and reviews online also help others find the podcast. And don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. You can join our Gravity community for free. You'll get our latest content delivered straight to your inbox, as well as an email most Fridays with curated links to articles that we found interesting or helpful. To join us, go to gravityleadership.com slash join. Our show is produced by Ben Sturkey and Matt Tebby. Aaron Sturkey edits and mixes the podcast. You can check out his work at aaronsturkey.com. We'd love to hear from you. To record a question or comment for us, go to gravityleadership.com slash message and click the start recording button. You can also email us at podcast at gravityleadership.com. Catch you next time.
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. 